This episode of Heavy Cardboard is brought to you by BoardGameTables.com. While none of us needs a gaming table, it sure would be great to have one as the centerpiece of your game days. Go check them out at BoardGameTables.com and take your gaming to the next level. Now, onto the show. Heavy Cardboard, Episode 45, Antiquity. Coming to you from the cemetery near the chapel in Tazant, Holland. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts, I'm Edward. And I'm Amanda. So to preface the start, guys and gals, I'm a little bit under the weather, so if I sound a bit off, bear with me. It's it's totally my fault and not our audio engineer's fault, all right? <laughs> As well, um, there is a thunderstorm going on right now, so you and our dog doesn't really care for those. So you may hear him pacing and panting around, and I'm really sorry, but if that happens, and I don't really know what else to say, just sorry. <laughs> So we had a crazy blizzard last week, yeah? Yeah, we did. Like 18, 20 inches of snow inside of six hours. Strong wind, total whiteout conditions. But hey, we got two days off of work, or at least I did. You did. I stupidly went into work and drove in the blizzard to get there. It hadn't actually started whenever you drove to work, so you got to miss out on that fun. Yeah, but at the same time, it was nice of my work to uh, to send us an email in an hour and 10 minutes after we got there. Hey, you don't have to come into work today. It's supposed to get bad. Oh, hey, thanks for the heads up after awesome. the fact. Awesome. Thanks, guys. But yeah, so no, I work for a doctor's office, so we don't close for anything. And basically, everybody just kind of stayed until we realized it was not going to get better. It was just going to get worse. So just about everybody bailed around noon or so, but... Luckily, I had a couple of uh, guys that work there because they were able to dig me out because I got stuck in the parking lot and couldn't get home. And then you got stuck in the driveway getting home, so I took over and drove the car into the garage, and then it didn't leave for two days. Why? Because even though the roads were fine the next day, we couldn't get out of the neighborhood because the city doesn't plow our streets. Yes. Oh, well. Yeah, no, it was was nice to have a couple, you know, like a day and a half-ish at home unexpectedly. Right? Yeah. So we got our tax refund back for the first time. We actually got a tax refund for the first time in years. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, the whole plan was we're going to buy a couple of bikes. You know, might as well take make use of the, you know, hundreds of miles of bike trails that's around us here. But, um... Yeah, at some point uh, between me being a teenager and now, bikes got really expensive, which I knew. Yeah, he knew, but you guys are going to have to either help me or help him. He seems to think it's perfectly fine to spend like $1,600 on two bikes. That is just insane to me. And to me, I feel like that's going to be still low-end bikes, but it's good enough for us to tool around and get some exercise and do all that. So who's right, guys? Who, who's right? Is it him or is it me? He obviously thinks it's him. I obviously think it's me. So we need some outside help. So email us and let us know what you think or tweet us or something. 
Wanted to give a shout out real quick to one of our Twitter followers, Megan, who lives in Eugene, Oregon, going to University of Oregon. Go Ducks. She uh, suggested I, I try my hand at a Thai curry and we made it with cashews and chicken and gotta say, pretty amazing. Kicked up the spice a little bit than what the recipe had, but it was really, really tasty. So thank you, Megan, for the, the recipe and the, uh, the uh, idea to make it. Yes, thank you. It was so good. Although with me being sick and the roof of my mouth being messed up from being sick, it hurts, but it's worth it. So thanks to all our Patreon backers who voted for this episode's feature, Antiquity, but also the second one in April as well, which is going to be Seki Gahara. Go support the show on Patreon and you too can vote and suggest on future featured games. We just finished up our second month on Weight Watchers. We did. And how much have you lost, ma'am? I have lost 16 pounds and someone at work today told me that they could tell. Rock on! That's awesome. Yay! I can definitely tell on both of us. I'm down 17.6 pounds. I'm down a pant size, down a shirt size. I And if I do wear my 38 size jeans, I need to remember to wear a belt or bad things happen. So uh, yeah, that's that's exciting. So congratulations on our first two months successful. Yes, and I don't see great. it stopping anytime soon. I don't either. But the only the only thing I could I do say is that I wish I had done measurements before we started. Measurements like arm and waist arm and, and all that. waist, thighs, all that kind of stuff. Because I know that things are fitting better because clothes that I used to look like I was a sausage casing in don't look like that anymore. You know, maybe the scale doesn't really reflect it or maybe like one week I don't lose anything or I lose something super minimal, but the clothes fit better. So I wish I'd had that to be another baseline as to how much I'm losing in other ways, maybe just not what the scale can reflect. Like for motivation, you yeah, mean? Well, yeah. Well, you said that one of your goals, the the main goal, wasn't necessarily, obviously it was to lose weight, but it was just so your clothes fit better. Mm-hmm. If you're seeing that on a week-to-week basis, I mean, mission accomplished then, right? That is a valid point. So I'm looking forward to this Saturday, not only... Do we have our regular game day? But Zombie Apocalypse Live is coming to Denver, and there's six of us, and not Amanda. No. Uh, six of us. There's me, uh, the two Matts uh, from the game group, Mark from Board Game Corner, his wife, and one other friend of theirs. Think of it as like Walking Dead laser tag, but with impressive makeup and pyrotechnics and stuff. It's it's actually being held at the 13th floor, which is, a, I guess, a like world-famous haunted house that's here in Denver. Or at least, I think it's a chain of them. Whatever. doesn't matter. But it's it should be a lot of fun. So laser tag zombie apocalypse should be a lot of fun Saturday. You go, you go kill those zombies because I hate zombies. And that's why I'm not going. You and Dana <laughs> get to... Have a yeah, girl's night in exactly. and the fellas get to go out and, and, and kill zombies. Shoot, shoot some zombies. Yep. Word is that Container, that long out-of-print classic, is possibly getting a reprint. The surviving designer is in talks with a unbeknownst publisher, to the public at least. Um, so I'm excited to hear it. Obviously, we, we have our copy already, but I think it would be great if they make it more widely available to others because right now you know 150 to 250 dollars including the expansion is is expensive obviously and so hopefully uh, hopefully that comes to pass 
Yeah, it's a really good game. More people need to be able to play that. Kevin over at Mercury Games is starting to tease out pics of the artwork for the their reprint, the second edition of Princes of the Renaissance, that Martin Wallace classic. Exciting, and it looks really good so far. So that should be hitting Kickstarter sometime this month. Well, okay, realistically, since this is the end of March now, I guess sometime in April, we're hoping at least. One last thing that I found interesting. So I ran a quick informal kind of impromptu poll on Twitter just before we recorded asking where folks do most of their gaming. Well, the poll closed and we got nearly 100 votes and granted all these people are board gamers already and they're not new to the hobby, but the numbers still surprised me. 84% voted that the majority of their gaming is done at home or at a friend's house. Only 12% at a local gaming store and 4% other. Does that seem, I don't know, just surprising that the, the local gaming store is such a low percent? Again, small sample size and all that, but doesn't that surprise you? It really doesn't because all of the game stores that I've ever been in are so small and cramped and crowded that... I just really would have no desire to play in in one. I know that there are board game cafes and stuff like that that maybe are a little bit bigger, but even those, I would much prefer to stay at home and play a game or go to a friend's house and play one. Just I don't want to have to worry about where am I going to get food? Do I have to, if I'm going to buy coffee, I can't just go make me a cup. I have to go buy it from the vendor there. Just things like that that I guess maybe some people like but i just would rather be at home but i mean i am a homebody so there's that i expected us to be the exception and that we prefer to play at home but it seems like we're not so i just found that interesting you know with the whole asthma day north american thing and and that whole deal trying to drive traffic to the local gaming stores i mean super tiny sample size and this is already you know gamers in the hobby but i I wonder if the demand's really there yeah, I don't know. It's it's a good question to to ask, but I maybe mean, maybe we are the exception to the exception. rule. Exception, right? We want to thank the great people at Game Surplus for their sponsorship of our show. They're good people, and they have a great reputation and great inventory of games, including many imports and hard to find games. Their tagline is "Home of great games at great prices." So check them out at gamesurplus.com. If you're looking for an import game, or, well, really, any game that they don't have in stock, don't hesitate to contact Velma and Amos at games at gamesurplus.com, and they'll get on the case, stat. And when you do, please remember to tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. All right, so Edward, why don't you tell everybody how to get in contact with us? Our website, heavycardboard.com. Our email, contact at heavycardboard.com. We love hearing from our listeners, so don't be shy. Twitter, at Heavy Cardboard. We are very, very active on Twitter. Amanda's Twitter is at Amanda U. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Instagram, Heavy Cardboard. Our Patreon, come support us. We definitely appreciate everyone that is doing so. Patreon.com forward slash Heavy Cardboard. And our BGG Guild is number 2044. A lot of good discussions pretty much continuously going on over there. So come join the guild and say hi. Only a few iTunes reviews since last episode, but nonetheless, we are very much appreciative to those that have and that continue to leave us reviews on iTunes. Dubai King, 
JM Smith 2434, and Deerdaw 1846. Thanks, y'all. And for those that haven't left us reviews, we definitely would appreciate y'all doing so. Keep it up, and thanks a lot. Last episode, we started a contest for a copy of Three Kingdoms Redux, and it's still going on. It sure is. And thanks again to our friends over at Starting Player, Christina and Yowster, for giving us this game to give away on our show. You have until April 10th to enter, so go check out the instructions for the contest at heavycardboard.com forward slash T-K-R contest and enter. We're covering domestic shipping and the first $15 for international shipping, so go join the dozens that have entered already. If you haven't heard our review, go back to episode 12 where we break down the game. And here's a hint, it's amazing. So Edward, why don't you tell everybody about what we've acquired recently? Only two games since last episode. First off was 13 Days, the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's uh, thought of as Twilight Struggle, the filler game. And the other one is West of Africa. It's a lighter economic trading game set in the Canary Islands. It just showed up today, so hoping to play it later this week post-editing time. Yes. Both games were on my anticipation geek list, so I'm excited that we got copies of them. So yay. And we've already played 13 Days, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to playing West of Africa. I'm hoping that maybe since it's a lighter economic game and doesn't take too terribly long to play, maybe that could be a school night game. Hey, so is there anything on the shopping list that I don't know about yet? Well, there were a few that ain't going to happen, I can tell you that. (laughs) There were two notable BGG auctions that had games in them that I would love to have. But I'll be honest, even I can't justify them. The first one just ended, and that's for Keytown, one of the earliest Richard Breeze Key Series games. I think it sold, the closing price ended up being $300 Canadian. Yeah, couldn't couldn't justify that one. I bid $175 and thought I had a chance. And, <laughs> ha! Not even close. Just kidding. Then there are a couple of Nate Hayden games. He's a local designer. He's designed games like Cave Evil and the Mushroom Eater, some really... Just psychedelic, weird, out there, very niche games. And a couple of his older ones have recently come up in an auction. Those are After Pablo and San Quentin Kings. I would love to get copies of both of those, but they're currently the biddings at $190 and $90 respectively. So, c'est la vie, not this time. Yeah, I know Paul Chad has a copy of both of those games. He loves Nate's games, so maybe he could... Bring those over and we could play them. Psst, Chad, that's what you want to do. So on the shopping list, not really on the shopping list because they've already been bought and paid for. They just haven't crossed the threshold into the house. And that's uh, Tony organized a group buy for some Japanese 18xx games for him, PC, and us. And those are 1891, 18SY, 18NK, and 18SS. They're all by Japanese designers set in Japan, in different parts of Japan, and they're all kits, which means we have to laminate, cut, and kind of finish the actual games themselves. So kind of a partial print and play is a good way to describe them. Anyway, I'm anxious to see them this weekend because they arrived yesterday, and Tony's already been texting me pictures and everything, and I've been like, can't wait to check them out in person. So that'll be cool. So that's, that's pretty much all that's on the shopping list, so to speak. Obviously, the game's on the anticipation list. If you guys haven't seen it, we can link to the anticipation geek list uh, in the show notes. 
But otherwise, what what are you looking forward to playing between now and next episode, say? Paul Chad actually organized us with Tony to play an 18xx game of the quarter because we have a really bad reputation for we play a game once, an X, especially an XX game once, and then we get so excited about the next one, we jump to it and don't play the other one for quite a while. So we decided to have an 18xx game of the quarter, and the first one is 1860. We're going to play that over the over a quarter. We're going to play that probably four times, four or five times at least. Yeah, hopefully a couple times a month is, right. is kind of the idea. Right, and then this way we can explore a game instead of constantly changing from one to the other. And I'm really excited about actually being able to explore it and see different ways to do things and... Instead of always having to... Exactly. Relearn a new rule set and all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited about that. And on top of that, the fact that we're doing it on Sunday means we can still have our normal Saturday game days for the show. And for, you know, with the rest of our friends, which I think is awesome. So the fact that everyone's schedule is working out to where we can do those on a Sunday as well as having our normal game group on Saturday. Woohoo! Yeah, it's perfect. Edward and I went through our board gaming collection and made a list of games that we could see being trailers. And there's so many games in there that some of them I'd even kind of forgotten about that we owned. So I'm excited to play some games that we can utilize as being trailers on the show, but also just get some of these games played that have been on our shelves for years. One of which actually is going to be a trailer for this episode, Hansa. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. So as far as, you know, other than the 18xx game of the quarter, which is going to be 1860, I'm looking forward to playing Primetime, West of Africa, which we just got, Hospital Connect, more Cavum, and hopefully this Saturday some Dominant Species, which I'm excited about. And I know we can get that played. Why, you ask? Because Tony and Paul Chad won't be there Saturday. So so there's that. Yeah. So speaking of playing games, you want to go through the list of what we've been playing? Some together, some not together. Right. So obviously we've been playing a lot of Antiquity. And then on one one of our Snow Day games, we played Hansa, which is an enjoyable little game, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a little bit. And then we played 13 Days, which, as Edward mentioned, is a mix of Twilight Struggle and Versantas Folk. It's a nice, meaty, our kind of filler. Yeah, what, took like 35, 45 minutes, and that was with it being our first game, I think? Yeah, that was with learning it and everything, and uh, Edward didn't read the the card Yeah, 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 and... yeah. I apologize to the world. I, As the Soviets, I accidentally started Global Nuclear War. Because the DEF contract for the military got up to one. So I apologize. That's my fault. Blame me. <laughs> which means that the Americans won, which was me. So yay. And so on Saturday, we had dual games of Through the Ages going. And Edward was in one of those. And the other game was with three-player Antiquity. It was me, Dana, and Tony K.R., and we got through with Antiquity, and they were still playing Through the Ages. So we, I did have to teach a couple new players how to play Through the Ages. Yes, you did. And so uh, we, instead of just kind of staring at each other for the next hour and a half, we decided to play a couple of games. And one of them was At the Gates of Loyang, which is another just great Uwe Rosenberg game that doesn't hit the table often enough. It's a really interesting way that you score points in the game, and it's a really fun 
I mean, the girl in me likes the veggie meeples, of course, but it's just, it's a fun, it's a fun game that we don't, we just don't get to play often enough. And I think you've only played it twice, right? Once. Once. I know, I know. I hear Travis crying on the other side of the microphone now. Right? Yeah. (laughs) So have, as what else have you played that I haven't mentioned? Well, uh, the we finished off the game day with a six-player Imperios Millenarios, which you sat out on. So we played the full map, which uh, six or seven players can play. And we played it with six, and we only played the standard game, not the epic game. And we all were in agreement that we're all really enjoying the game. However, we feel like it ends a little too quick. And I think part of that is due to groupthink in that we're all too nice in allowing things to happen instead of vetoing and blocking, as well as we're not playing the Epic game, which is one more age. So I think the next time we play it, we're going to try and shoot for a a full seven-player Epic game, which even so, I mean, it's a Civ game that takes less than three hours to play, closer to two hours. Sign me up, so I'm looking forward to that. You mentioned 13 days. But then last Saturday, we actually took a very rare day off from hosting game day. And I went down with the fellas with the old Bonnie Bray group down to a FLGS. And we played 1841. We had two games of 1841 and one game of 18 Arden going on. And 1841 is is the first time I'd ever played it. It's a really wicked 18xx game where not only can the players own shares and start companies... But players' companies can own shares and start companies. So, yo, dog, I hear you got companies that like to start companies. (laughs) But it's one of those games that I don't care how much people stress to you uh, what could and will probably happen until you actually see it. Uh, There's just no way of wrapping your head around, oh, that's how that goes. It was actually me and Tony together in a three-player game with one of the uh, resident experts, Mike, who's been playing XX games nearly as long as I've been alive. I think uh, the first one came out, I want to say, in 78, 79, and he's been playing it since then. Point being, he put himself in the worst possible position with the worst possible miners on the worst possible starting location on the board and just throttled both of us. Which is to be expected, but it was still a lot of fun. And I'm really looking forward to playing it some more. I know that there's at least one, if not two games of that planned for HeavyCon. So that should be be fun to to watch, even if I'm not in the game. So that'll be cool. Nice. Other than that, that pretty much wraps up a couple of weeks. Edward, why don't you tell us a little bit about Hansa? Hansa, designed by Michael Schock, published by Uberplay, among others, in 2004. Plays two to four players and plays in about 60 minutes or so. In Hansa, you play the role of a merchant of the Hanseatic League, tasked with buying, shipping, and selling goods between cities all along the Baltic Sea. This is accomplished by setting up markets in the various cities and paying a merchant vessel to sail around and pick up and deliver the assorted goods. Players start with some market stands in chosen cities. Everyone starts with three coins and play begins. On their turn, a player can move the ship, which can cost one coin. 
buy a good from a city, paying the player with the market stall majority in that city, use goods to set up market stands, or sell goods for points. Players can take as many actions as they can pay for, but they can only take a single action in any given city. And once they have, they must move the ship to a new city where they can then choose which, if any, of the one, one action to take. The ship can only move along specified trade winds, so once you move, there's no going back unless you travel to other cities, which cost money each move. Victory points are gained through selling goods, and in order to sell, you must have two goods of the same color. Also, you can only sell goods in a city that has at least one of your market stands. And once you sell, you remove one of your discs or one of your market stands. So therefore, Hansa isn't just about selling, but it's also about where to sell and where to set up market stalls so that you can sell later on. Plus, once someone sells a color, say orange goods, then all other players have to discard an orange good if they possess any. I guess that thematically is to represent that the demand for that color good is no longer strong. The game ends when the final stack of replenishment goods has been dipped into. Victory points are gained from sold goods, unsold goods, which are worth less victory points, and from any city where a player has their market stand. Most victory points wins. So the game's got a bit of a mean streak in it where you sell goods, every player has to discard one of that color. So it can be a little predatory in a good way. I think I enjoy that. And players, as their first possible choice of actions, can refresh the board by paying one Thaler, or as we call it, one dollar. I dig how that's in the player's control when the board gets filled, so there might not be hardly any goods left on there, but if you don't want to refill it, you don't have to. But then again, if it's not refilled, you're probably not going to be able to buy many goods. And it forces other players potentially to spend money when they don't want to because there aren't enough goods left on the board in various cities. So you could go city to city and buy a bunch of goods and then turn around and sell them. And all of a sudden there aren't that many left on the board. I kind of dig that that forces other players' hands. Yeah, it's, it's a, it can be frustrating, though, that only one action can be performed in each city. But it's a good frustrating Oh, yeah. I mean, like Paul Chad likes to say, this one time, can I do three actions instead of one? Doesn't every turn end with you only being able to have three failures and three goods as well? Yes. You're forced to discard anything above that. Right. So it kind of forces limited actions, but it varies enough turn to turn. And thematically, I haven't quite wrapped my head around why that's the case. You know, why you have to get down to three and three. Maybe it's, uh, there's not enough rooms, or not enough room on the ship. And since you're all on the same ship, maybe thematically that's the reason. Right, that would make sense to me for sure. So having the majority of market stalls in a city allows you to pay yourself and basically buy a good for free. So it's always nice to have that majority. Plus it ensures that you're able to sell multiple times in that city. It has a variable turn and game length, which a lot of times I'm a big fan of. It's easy to pick up. Since shipping lanes are limited to following the trade winds between cities, you want to plan out your markets so that you can pick up goods for free from cities where you have a market stall majority and then sail to a nearby city where you have a surplus of market stalls so that you can sell your purchase good, lose one market stall, but not give up the majority because of the one market stall that you're going to lose. 
from selling. All the while, you have to be aware when you leave your ship for the next player's turn because you don't want to hook them up with a similar kind of gift chain of action that you were just able to capitalize on. So I really, really dig that. There's little downtime. It plays super quick. It's an hour at most. And solid components, if not the artwork. So some things that, you know, not super keen on about the game. The refilling of goods when it happens is random. Not the when it, it happens, but the what happens. So players can luck into or get screwed over by random goods coming out in their path because they chose to refill. But it could be that could be a good or a bad thing. You never know because it's a random draw. We've only played it two players so far, but I've heard that it's a completely different game once you add a third or even a fourth player. Chaotic and extremely tactical are a couple of terms that I've heard used when talking about any player count more than two. Getting crazy, I can definitely see happening. Yeah, with more players, the board just completely changes between turns. So I guess a, a good analogy here is for those familiar with the game Urban Sprawl by Chad Jensen, there's just no planning until it's your turn because too much is going to change bet between your last action. So there's there's plenty of folks, though, that love it at all three player accounts, at two, three, and four. So I don't want that to sway too many people. I just want to make them aware of it. And I'll be honest, I know we're going to disagree on this, but I am not a fan of the artwork and the color choices. I mean, I'm a big fan of muted colors. Hello, Arkwright. But this one has a tanness that's just everywhere. And it's just it, it it's just not an appealing color. Yeah, it's it's not the best art, but I mean, I I like it. I I just I like the way it looks. It fits the time period that you're supposed to be in, and I like the my favorite part is the ship. It's so nice and big and chunky. Oh, the component wise, really solid. Yeah, I agree. It is a big big old wooden ship. Yeah, it is. It's nice. It's easy to pick up and move around. It's a very good as we like to say school night game because it's short and it plays it plays fast. It's not it's it's a it does require planning, and, but not so much that your brain is so melted by the time you're done that you can't do anything else. I I would put it in the same category and tell me what you think is like a Castles of Burgundy, you know, yeah. for a school night game yeah. type thing. Yeah, I would put it a little bit below Castles in in the amount of of planning that you have to do because Castles I feel like takes a little bit more. Okay, that's fair. But it's it's a, it's a good. I enjoyed it. It was fun and it. Being so concerned about where you leave that boat so that it doesn't help your opponent, that can sometimes be a bit of a drag because you might not be able to do as much as you wanted or even have to do more than what you actually wanted to do and spend more money just because you don't want to leave them with that prime real estate of wherever you left the boat. It's a good point. Totally agree with that. And I, I'm curious to try it with more players and see if we like or dislike the... Uh, the a little bit more chaotic mm -hmm. nature mm -hmm. of the game but i thought it was quite enjoyable at two player yeah i did too I, I enjoyed our one play and like you said i definitely am looking forward to getting it played at three and four but i don't think that even adding more players i don't think it's going to add too terribly long to the play time no and not at all unless somebody seriously ap's which yeah. i'll kill them if so yeah this type of game doesn't need ap <laughs> So as far as a rating, 
Not enough plays to give it a rating on my end, but it's one that I'm looking forward to playing more of, so that bodes well. And the randomness of the refilling of the goods is the only thing that may end up being an issue for me, kind of a sticking point. Uh, but it's possible that that's a non-issue as well. So to be determined as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, same here. I, I really enjoyed my one play, but I don't feel comfortable giving it a rating just quite yet. And that's Hansa. All right, Amanda, you want to talk about uh, one of our favorite little bidding games, Metropolis or Metropolis or Metropoli? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I want to go with Metropolis. So the designer of the game is Sebastien Pochal, and the publisher, there are several, but they include Rio Grande and Astari. The game was published in 2008, and it plays two to four players and plays in about 45 minutes. It's a quick little game. Before play begins, each player draws two cards. Those will be the hidden agenda cards. Both of those will be for scoring at the end of the game. The cards are for two items. One is for a certain number of points per building in a specific area, and the other is for buildings that meet certain requirements, like occupying both sides of a bridge, for example. Players place bids on areas of a city by using their building pieces. The pieces are numbered from 1 to 13 and come in three different sizes. 1 to 5 are the smallest, 6 to 9 are the medium-sized, and 10 to 13 are the skyscrapers. To begin, you place a building down in an area that you would like to own. If the next player wants to bid, they must select an area adjacent to the one you bid in and bid with a higher building number. And this continues around the table until everyone passes. Once that's happened, the winning bid's building is flipped over so that the number on the building is hidden. All of the players that pass get their buildings returned. Neither you nor your opponents can view the number on the built building because building numbers are secret. So even the ones that you have still to build, you need to make sure that you keep it hidden from your opponents. As long as you have a good memory, you can, but after the course of the game, there's potentially up to 30 plus buildings that are get built. So good luck trying to keep track of who has what left. Exactly. If you can do that, then I'll just give you the game. (laughs) And play ends whenever someone runs out of buildings to bid with. And the highest score wins. So what I like about the game is, is that it's a fun twist on an auction and bidding game. You bid on areas with the numbered buildings instead of money or VPs or, you know, whatever a normal auction game would be. And it looks good on the table as you're, as you're bid, bidding as well as when you're building. The It looks cool because you have the 3D buildings and everything. Right. Not saying the map is appealing, but we'll get to that here yes. in a little bit. We'll get to that in a minute. So sometimes you have to try and trick your opponents into letting you have the area you want by like bidding on another area and then making it so that hopefully whenever it gets back to you, you can bid on what you actually want. So you just have to kind of like hope and pray that after it goes all the way around the table, you won't get stuck with that building in that area that you really didn't want. You just hope that they go in the direction that you want them to go. <laughs> right, because you're bidding on areas, and the areas change it with every bid. And so just because you bid in this red area in this one quadrant, okay, now I have to bid. If I want to bid, I either pass or up it in the adjacent area. And now what direction am I going to go? Exactly. I, you know, not always. So it's a calculated gamble, but it's also... It's clever. I mean, we recently did an episode on auctions and we were talking about how 
the different commodities that you're bidding on can change within the same auction. And that's kind of what happens here with the different areas, the physical areas that you're that are being put up for bid changes with every single bid, not with every unique auction. I think that's really clever. Yeah, it's a very it's very cool and just a very it's just a very neat way of doing it. It's just, a, and in, like you said, whenever the game's over, especially, it looks really cool. The 3D aspect of the different buildings, it looks really cool. So there's no luck in the game. It's it, There is some hidden information because obviously I know you start with buildings 1 through 13 in the three different sizes. So I can either, like I said earlier, either have a really good memory for an elephant or... <laughs> Or just use deductive reasoning. Oh, you have no big buildings left. Okay, I know I can bid with an 11 and be safe. That type thing. There's not a ton of rules overhead. It's a very simple game mechanically because all you're doing is bidding constantly. Round after round after round using your buildings to bid with. And even with the secret goals, I don't mind them. Which in some games I do. Because as you get to know the game, there's only a certain number. There's I want to say there's four or five secret goals that are in the game and as people start winning their auctions you can kind of use a little bit of deductive reasoning to figure out oh they're they probably have this goal so i know now i not only am trying to get my goals but i'm actually now that i think i know what you have i start to try and impede your progress to your goals which are worth victory points Right. So that's actually one of my things that I don't like about the game, because as you said, if you play the game enough, you can pretty much read what other people are doing because you know the cards so well. And that if you're bringing in a new player to the game, that's really unfair to the new player because they have no idea. All they know is that they need to get this stuff. They have no idea what any of the other cards might be. They have no idea what you might be going after. So it really gives really gives the gigantic advantage to the player that's played it a lot. Yeah, that's fair. That There is a bit of a uh, experience imbalance, maybe is a good way to put it. Um, but after a couple of games, the other players should be up to speed. Let's take a second and talk about the art in this game. Please. It is, I think garish is a kind word. It's ugly. For it. It's horrible. It w- I'm sure it was meant to be really cool looking, but it's just it's just a disaster. Yeah, it w- when, when, whenever somebody posts on BGG, hey, what's your what's the ugliest game you can think of? Metropolis is the one that comes to mind for me. Yeah, it's the first thing because it's just the it's just bad. The secret goal cards have the have a depiction of what you're supposed to be doing and the the colors are so similar in in the game on the game board that sometimes it's difficult to tell whether that is if the cards talking about the brown areas or the red areas or the yellow areas there's just it can it can be it can be quite confusing and sometimes you you can't really go by what the color is you kind of have to go by what the landscaping looks like or what the buildings look like inside that area instead of what color it is which they are different types of buildings so like yes. there's I, I thematically i think like some are industrial or you know whatever it's kind of futuristic but they are distinct uh, just looking right. maybe not color wise but they are graphic design wise so at least they did that but yeah just poor choices i would say for the board as a whole 
Yeah. Now, did did weren't you telling me something that somebody had done a, a remake of the board or something? Yeah. So whenever I was looking at some of the images and stuff on BGG, someone had put up a PDF of a redesign of the board, and they had taken the exact the board just the exact same way with the same borders and everything, but instead of having the art on there, it's just a flat color. So it's it's the brown and the yellow and the green and, and the red and everything, but you can actually just look at the color and know what you're what you're going after instead of trying to figure out what buildings they look like and stuff. Metropolis is a nice and different take on your standard auction or area control game. It does suffer from garish art and can be very unfriendly to new players. I'll rarely suggest playing the game, but I'll also rarely say no when it's suggested. I've played the game enough that I do feel comfortable giving it a rating on our 1 to 6 scale, and I'm going to give it a 4. I would agree with the 4 rating, uh, and I kind of agree with you as far as it's one of those, oh, we haven't played Metropolis in a while, why don't we bust that out? Sure, why not? You know, But it's not something that you're ever going to be like, yes, let's go play that. But it's, it's a really enjoyable bidding game that uh, I would agree with your rating. I would also give it a 4. And that's Metropolis. All right, let's start talking about our feature presentation, which is a unique theme. Farming in the Middle Ages, huh? Antiquity is set in the Middle Ages, starting in 1050, according to the box cover. Each player must farm, mine, fish, chop wood, and grow their civilization. And the patron saint you choose will determine the path you take to victory. Select the right one and work your lands appropriately to win the game. Antiquity was published in 2004. The designers are Jeroen Duman and Joris Wersinger. The artist is actually listed as Modet Antwerpers, but there is actually speculation that it's actually Jens Modet, who was one of the designers of Indonesia, I'm sorry, one of the artists of Indonesia. And actually, Antwerpers is Dutch for designers. So my theory is that the art is actually by Jens, Modet, Jeroen, and Joris. Oh, as a collaborative yeah. effort? Yeah. Huh. All right, good. So I know who I'm slamming when I talk about that. All right. <laughs> so, uh, and the, the publisher is Splatter Spelling. The player count is two to four, and I would ballpark it at 60 minutes a player. It's going to be the length of the game. And the availability and cost, it's about $300. It's out of print, but a reprint will hopefully be done in about 2018. That's the plan anyway. Yeah, the uh, the reprint, it's either going to be, or I should say likely to be, 2017 or 2018. It's going to all depend on whether the next Splatter game is ready for SN 2017. And yeah, obviously it's out of print. It's long out of print. So we apologize about that. Or, or in other words, it's just a normal game to us. Right. The $300 in the resale market, um, that's about what the going rate is right now. I've seen it as low as 150 and I've seen it as high as, you know, 3 380 So, yeah, sorry about that. Antiquity is a civilization game. When you begin, you are given your player aid, which doubles as your player board and your player pieces. Each player then places their first city down on their specified map tiles, called platters, to begin. The player aid has your first city box, and it's your responsibility to build what you need to in order to sustain your civilization. You start with four workers, which are cubes, but you can acquire up to 30 workers. 
Each worker must have a house to live in, and the cost of the house gets higher and higher, and the house must also fit into your cities. Each building is shaped differently, and some buildings require workers to man them, but some don't, and it will indicate the difference on the player aid. And you must utilize your best Tetris skills to make sure that everything fits into your city. Once you place a piece, you cannot move it, unless you select a specific saint, but more on that in a minute. There are actually five patron saints in the game, each of which you must declare once you have built your cathedral in your city. Here are their focuses and win conditions. So San Nicolo is population growth. You win by having all 30 of the workers. And his special power is allowing you to build two houses at once, which gives you the two workers, and the cheapest is free. Buy one, get one, so to speak. Yeah. San Cristofori is trade. You win by having three of each food and luxury good in your inventory. But with this saint, you no longer require storage. Your cathedral is so immense that it can store anything that you have. San Giorgio is conquest. You win by having all of another player's area in your zone of control. He allows you to harvest a fish every time another player builds their cathedral, so this one is best to declare early in the game. Santa Barbara is city building. You win by having built one of each of the available buildings. Now she allows you to rearrange your buildings, which can be a lifesaver if you didn't lay your buildings well. Santa Maria is the most powerful saint, and the reason why she's so powerful is because she requires you to focus on two, that's right, two win conditions. And those must be met in order for you to win the game after declaring the saint. You can choose which two, though. And what is Santa Maria's special power? She gets all the other saint's special powers. So if you declare Santa Maria, you get everything that every all the other saints have as their special powers. Super powerful, super difficult. Super hard. Each round is played the same way, and all steps are outlined at the player aid. The very first thing you do is what's called All Rise. You take everything off of your city and your cities, all of your workers, and put them back in a pile. So after everyone's risen, then you allocate your workers to your city or your cities, and you also build buildings in your city or your cities. After that, you determine player order by who has the most manned carts and or explorers. Whoever has the most goes last. Then you go out onto the main board with your manned cart, if you have one, to build a farm, mine, woodcutter, fisherman, etc. After that step, then you have to make sure that you have enough room to store your goods. But luckily, harvest comes after storing goods. Then you explore. Let me explain explore a little bit. During setup, explorers are mixed up and placed onto the created board. There are hexes that have an icon on them, and that's where the explorers go. It looks like a little man on a horse. And you, you can discover farming supplies this way. So anytime this is done, though, and you get a farming supply, you also increase the famine level by one. Now the famine level. In order to combat famine, you must either have a granary built, which helps you combat three famine, or have food in your stores. But for each famine level you don't have covered, you get a gravestone, and those must fit into your city too. And after this, the famine level is raised by one, and that happens every turn. Then after famine comes pollution, and you receive three pollution chits per city, but that can also be mitigated. Pollution makes hexes in your zone of control unavailable for farming, mining, or cutting wood. After that, check for victory. But if no one's won, you just start right back over again. 
So you want to talk scalability? Let's. So I don't know. I've played it, I think, seven times over the course of the last three years. Uh, and I've covered, uh, I've hit it two, three, and four players. Yeah, same here. I think I've, I've played it seven or eight, like you said. And I've hit two, three, and four. But I will say my favorite player count is three. All right. I don't know if mine's two or three, but okay. So on that note, scalability. Um, I think it scales marvelously well. The number of platters used in setup or, or the number of game boards for the common board uh, in setup, it's based on player count. So I think it scales as well as any game out there. Mm-hmm. It does because since you the number of platters that you set out are specifically tailored to how many players are actually playing the game, it feels like if, if a two-player game feels just as normal as the four-player game. Agreed. All right, so about the components and graphic design. And since it's an older splatter, that of course means the components can be a little rough at times. Yeah, the the, the cardboard's a little flimsy. And um, speaking of cardboard, there are a ton of chits in this game. Enough to make a war gamer take a double take. There are 1,400 counters in this game. Or uh, I'm going to intersperse or use counters and chits. They're the same thing. They're half inch by half inch little chits. Uh, half of those, so 700 of them, are pollution, if that gives you a, any idea on what to expect in this game. As far as the, the graphic design on the components, I think it's really easy to confuse what's on some of the chits, like olives versus wine or dye versus fish. Yeah, F- the fish and the dye, that, those are the two that I have the biggest problem with. I really don't have a problem at all with the olives and the wine um, the wine to me looks like a belt buckle, so I'm able to differentiate between that and the olive pretty easily, but okay. the fish and dye, that's so similar. And some of the printing on the chits is definitely off-center. Yeah. Uh, there are four punch boards that are identical, so there are four famine tracks. So the first time we played it, we were like, oh, does everybody get their own famine track? No, 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 there's just one universal famine track. But it's, it's one of those things that's just a little odd uh, and confusing at first. Uh, on the positive side, though, on the components, is there's enough components in a single copy of Antiquity to play two simultaneous two-player games. In fact, our friends Matt and Dana, we actually let borrow half the game so they could take it up to their house so they could play it while we were still able to play the two-player game. So... I think that's pretty cool that there's enough in there to be able to do that. Yep. And let's go back and talk about the chits for just a second. They are so small that we normally actually use either tweezers or a little handheld handy vac to pick up the chits whenever and lay them down because every time that you start a mine or uh, plant in your fields, you first place down pollution. Then on top of the pollution, you place the gold or the stone or the olives or whatever. So you have to stack stuff. So it's, it makes it difficult for people if you've got a little chubbier hands. Or, or just bigger guys like me. Right. Well, with chubby hands, I guess. But yeah, you get the idea. But yeah, this is this is the epitome of, uh, of a lot of chits. Yeah. yeah. A lot of chits. So the player mats, they double as a player aid, which helps a lot. I got to be honest. Um, you know... And it's mostly clear. However, what can be built on the map, the inns, the fishermen, the mines, and everything, they kind of have alignment issues as far as what you can build is on this side, 
but what it does in everything is inches away on the other side and it's really hard to realize or to remember that oh this information over here on the right that corresponds to the stuff on the left so but once you know it you know it but it's one of those things to where like wait i don't understand what does an in do type thing and where can it be built etc the information's there it's just a little further away than would be optimal right the design of it though i think i think the layout of it otherwise other than that is really is really well done i agree and the art other than the fish and dye and i guess the olives and wine as well i like the art i know that i'm probably in the minority here not my favorite about three years ago when i first played the game i made a post on bgg uh saying that the art was pretty bad i think i took used the term atrocious and i got just filleted on there uh so yeah it's not my favorite but it fits the theme yeah it does it very much does it's antiquated if you will so i don't really read rule books because i don't teach games so edward can you speak a little bit to the rule book clarity and quality because i can't it's easy enough to learn from because uh, i to be honest there were enough gaps between like our first play or two until the third play and then there was another gap and then we played it a bunch in the weeks leading up to the review that i had to basically relearn from the rule book so it's easy enough to learn from but it can be difficult when referencing some of the small rules. It definitely could be laid out much cleaner for referencing. But as far as the actual learning the game, there's a lot of good examples and, and pictures and stuff in there to where I didn't have a, any problem as far as uh, being able to learn from the rule book. All right, good. So what makes this game heavy or medium? I think it's a heavy game, but is that all comes from the planning. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's really not too many rules. I mean, there's some a bunch of little rules, but overall, it doesn't really take too long to learn how to play the game. Yeah, as far as the just rules complexity and everything, there's just not much. That that there you're going to need to reference the rule book for some of the kind of like niggling rules. Um, can you build an inn or fishery on top of pollution? Right, and stuff like that. Uh, if you don't. If you haven't played it a lot, you're not going to remember. And that's where that whole going back and referencing, it can be a little tough to find at times. But overall, it's really a surprisingly simple game. And the fact that on the player aid, it has all, it's either nine or ten steps there. And it's very procedural. So that makes it really easy to follow along and know what you have to do as far as what to do. Like, how do you play the game now to play it well? That's where the planning comes in. Exactly. That's that's a different thing. It's very easy, especially for beginners, to mess up and cause the game to break. Yeah, they, that happened our first two games yes, due to another player um, killing themselves basically on the second turn. Because this whole, the whole weight from antiquity comes from the planning. So here you go. It's some things to think about when you're either at the beginning of the game or what you're thinking about throughout your turn what's my patron saint going to be my winning condition what buildings do i need to build now versus what can i wait to build later how big of a forest you know when i go out to be a lumberjack to cut down wood how big of an area do i want to use the less wood 
but quicker that the worker returns home and he can go do something else. More wood, the worker gets tied up longer and now you have one less worker. Is the mountain range gonna be for gold or stone? Once you make that decision, that's it for the game. That whole mountain range is either stone or gold. Stone is used for building things and luxury goods, gold, can be used to build other things. So what's more important to you? Do you explore and hope for a seed to plant or do you just not worry about that and go fishing? But what about building and manning a market to be able to trade for that all-important seed to be able to plant your farms? How quickly do I look to build my second city? Is that something you want to look at early or late? How's the board layout? Is pollution or graves an immediate issue? Do I have to address it now or can I let them kind of pile up and deal with it later? Just the amount of foresight that you need for good play is immense. Yet, you have to be able to react to what other players are doing. And like most other splatter games, reaction might take a number of turns if you're unprepared. So the bottom line, you got to have a plan in place. Yeah, you do. It's just something that I have come across in, in previous games is if you run out of wood, you can't do anything. Wood is the basis for so many of the buildings. Wood is life. Yeah, you can't... You can't build a woodcutter. You can't build a fisherman. You can't, but you you can't do anything if you don't have that one single solitary piece of wood. You have to beg and grovel with anybody else that has a market that can that's open for trade. Because wait, in order to build the market, you have to have wood. So if you don't have, if you don't even have the wood to do, if you don't have wood, you don't have anything to do. And that just comes from piss poor planning. Yes, exactly. Or Oh crap! I didn't realize that was my last wood. You know, just which is you know is bad planning, but it, you just sometimes you just have there's so much going on in the game that it occasionally you can forget that you only had that one little tiny area of forest left and it's gone now, and you don't have any more forest anywhere. You're gonna have to go watch TV. Exactly. Well, no, because everybody gets to go watch TV because if your game is broken, everybody's game is broken. It's you're done. You pack it up or you start over. So do you feel like there are any any luck or random factors in the game? There's I guess two you could say. The initial platter or board setup, so that's gonna be different every game. And then you have the explorer tokens, and those are the big point of contention as far as that's the only randomness in the game. You don't know if you're going to get a a seed in which you can then plant a farm or you don't know if it's going to be wine which is a luxury or item that you can plant and yeah just it's it's a point of contention for some people i'm okay with it because you're exploring you don't know what you'll find so in my opinion it only really takes about a game or so to get the game what do you think yeah this one i kind of struggled with because i feel like the mechanics of the game, you can understand them in the first play, you know, sometime in your first game. I get that. But the game really flowers over multiple, multiple plays because you're so focused on trying to survive in your first play, maybe even your first few plays, that you're not really at all looking at what other people are doing. You're just focused on you. And the player aid actually specifically says in the city building phase that you're supposed to do that secretly. 
but we don't bother because the majority of the time people are too focused on what they're doing to really, oh, what do you got going on over right. there? I have too much I have too much to focus on. I can't look at what you're doing. Right. And so that's why I wonder if, you know, this is one of those games to where it's gonna take four, five, six, seven plays to be able to really get what the game offers. Does that make sense? Absolutely, I could see that. It I can I would say the exact same thing. You can you can understand what's going on in one play, but in order to figure out exactly like how to do stuff, it's going to take more. So what makes this game enjoyable? It's Civ for Masochists. <laughs> I mean, the game starts you off at the beginning of a famine and it's not going to get better. If that's not a big fuck you for an introduction, I don't know what is. <laughs> the game has two mechanics in the game that punish you. Food and famine, as well as pollution. Food offsets famine one-to-one. But when famine is above your food level, graves start filling your precious city building space. And then polluted land doesn't produce anything. So you either need more land to be able to pollute, or you have to be able to clean it. So like a game like Agricola, you have to feed your people. You got to do two different things on this in which the game is trying to kill you. I like that. Yeah, I, the game is extremely unforgiving. It's, it's, I like that if I make, I like that because if I make a bad decision, it'll come back to haunt me. And me. And, and them. Yeah, and, and everyone. But I like games like that because I want to learn from my mistakes. I don't want to be able to immediately do something else to fix it really quick. I want to be able to learn from that and not do it again. No wood, no way to get it, game over. Exactly, and then you'll never do that again. Can't expand and have room for a new city, game over. Can't feed your people, no room for graves. First you lose access to buildings, then you're dead. No room for pollution, more graves. On top of those that you're already getting, then you die. Yeah, I would say it's unforgiving. I'd agree with that. I, I dig that the game is dripping in theme. You see how hard life is for those city planners back in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. You choose your win condition. I dig that. Okay, um, I want to try this route. I want to try and go for this. I want to try and go for that, whichever it is. The only thing, and I don't know if this would be a negative, it's just it's a note, is the game can become... A, a, a race game if multiple people choose the same patron saint. Oh, absolutely. So if you and I are both trying to build all the houses, whoever is more efficient wins. Mm -hmm. But I don't mind that because it doesn't feel like a race to me. It it feels like who like what you just said. If I was more efficient than you, then I should win. I don't feel like that's a race. Okay, fair. And I also love that there's constant decisions. And I love that burn. Yeah, there. I like many of the games that we've reviewed. Yeah. Uh, this this has uh, decisions in spades. Uh, every every single placement from a grave or a house or up to bigger buildings like forced labor, or not just placing the buildings, but deciding what to build, when, and can I wait to build it in my next city? Do I build it now? Okay, if I'm going to build it now, where do I place it? Because you have to kind of play future tetris right so i uh, almost like uh the the new uve game newish patchwork how you kind of know the shapes of the pieces okay if i place this here then hopefully i can build this granary later to help offset mm -hmm. you know some of the hate and discontent that the game is throwing at me 
right and and do you want to be kind of selfish and use that one luxury good you have to build a hospital that'll help you clear out gravestones yes or do you want to kind of take it for the team and build that fountain to help with famine because every time you build a fountain it reduces the famine level by one which is awesome for everybody but you're also helping other people exactly you know yeah yeah you build your cities however you wish you know, like I said, uh, that Tetris type plane, but you only have so much space per city. The starting cities are a seven by seven hex grid. I'm sorry, not a square grid. And expansion cities are only six by six, which is great for the extra room, but it's three pollution per city. You got to have room to pollute, right? Where mm-hmm. are you going to put it? Three cities is nine pollution per turn. And that adds up super quick. Did I mention earlier that there were 1,400 chits in the game and 700 of them are pollution? Yeah, there's a reason for right. that. So you're either going to have a board covered in pollution that you have to clean it, or you could say, screw it, worrying about cleaning pollution. Just expand and go pollute someone else's area. But again, there are there's ways to mitigate a lot of this stuff. The dump helps, if you can build the dump, that helps with pollution. Yes, but what's the size of the dump? It's it something is like, enormous. It it's is like, like three, three by three, I think. I think it's three by three. So yeah. it really helps with pollution, but, but it, it takes, takes up a, a huge chunk of your city. And it has to be manned. Right. So that's one worker mm-hmm. of the four that you start with is basically just hanging out, doing nothing, overseeing the dump just to offset that pollution. Right. So... Great, I'm getting. I, I'm not getting any pollution for my first city, but I also just gimp myself though because I don't. Ha- I have one less worker that can go out and harvest goods, or he can, you know, build a. Uh, he can man other buildings and just do so many other things. So it's that constant juggling of do I prevent or do I deal with and do more stuff. Another thing I like is that I'm not only playing against the other players when I play the game, but I'm playing against the game. Yeah, because the game hates you. Yes. The game hates me and wants me to die. Right. (laughs) As soon as possible. Because it wants to go watch TV. (laughs) I enjoy that the the way the map is set up at the beginning of the game. It's a certain shape that is specific depending on player count. But like you said in 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 the overview... Each platter is double-sided, and there's like 150 of them. All right, I'm exaggerating. 16. All right, there's 16. So there's 32 potential platters in the game. And so the different landscape can drive and dictate what it is that you should be going for or maybe help guide you in, oh, okay, there's a lot of water. Maybe I build a harbor early so that I can go fishing and expand my area of control via the harbor or maybe i decide to build a lot of houses that provide me a lot of workers so that i can go out and do a lot more things but those houses as we said take up spots in your city plus they cost goods which could have been used to build other things and to do other things but what do you you know i do more coke so i can work more hours so i can make more money so i can do more coke Mm -hmm. etc etc and it's it's that uh, back to that whole juggling thing but again talking about those the map platters it because there are so many it does make replayability very very high because the layout is going to change with every single every single time you play the game it's totally it'll be 
a miracle if you saw the same exact same map twice. That's never going to happen. And you can do it randomly or you could you could draft platters, draft, and, right. you know, if you want. Right, right. Building in the countryside is cool. You build a farm, you you decide, okay, I'm building a farm. Is it going to be grain, sheep, olives for food or a luxury item like wine? What's mm-hmm. more important? Because everything you plant causes pollution. But then there's cutting wood, which is vital. But once you cut wood, it's gone forever. So it forces you to expand to be able to get more access to wood. Fishing for food or, or luxury resources, it's your choice again. But again, you're polluting, so you get one good and you got the pollution underneath it. Just an endless struggle to keep your head above water, pun not intended. There's not much downtime because the majority of the game is done simultaneous Mm -hmm. action. Right. As players start expanding and your sieves start getting closer to one another, then turn order becomes important because if you're earlier in turn order... You can do things before the other player that you're next to and build the and you make use of that land before they get a chance to. So in your early games, the winner very well might be the person who dies last or barely survives in yep. your early plays. It's more or less survival than it is about actually attaining a goal in your early plays. Once you played a little bit more, it becomes more of who can actually win. The right. The, the, there's more player interaction as you get more experience. Once you understand how to survive, then you can go on the offensive and go for other players' real estate and either build on that real estate or dump your pollution in on their real estate. You can go explore early and often and force the famine level up, which then forces other players to team up to fight back the famine level with, say, fountains or whatnot. And then you reap the benefits of your exploration when everyone else is just saying, okay, I got to play catch up and I have to try and fight off this famine because of all the graves that it's going to give me. So I just, it's just amazing the possibilities and the different directions that you can go. Mm -hmm. There actually is a kind of a mini game when it comes to building your cities because every all of the buildings fit together. Everything's modular and... The amount of satisfaction you get when those buildings fit together just perfectly is so great. And I know that we've kind of hit on the art a little bit, but I will say that it's so muted and kind of understated that it doesn't get in the way of gameplay at all. I agree. I, I Outside of the, wait, is that die or is that fish? Outside yeah. of stuff like that, the actual artwork itself, um, I agree, doesn't get in the way of gameplay. And I... Like on the platters, it's interesting because there can be just one single solitary hex that is a mine or one little one that's just happens to be a forest right in the middle of a whole bunch of stuff. So it's good to really look closely at near in your zone of control because there might be some little place that you can stick a pollution that you're not really ever going to use that hex anyway so that you can just plunk it down there and you're fine. And I would also suggest not just looking at your your current zone of control, but also, hmm, where are my expansion op- options? Where, what direction do I want to go uh, when I do expand to a second or third and or third city? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I want to go this direction? Do I want more mines? Do I want more water, forest, whatever? And you know, try and plan it out because once the board's set up, it's set up for the entire game. 
And like a lot of the games that we like to play, the game normally ends with someone saying, oh, I just needed one more turn. Sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah. So is there anything that you don't like about Antiquity? There's a few things. Um, Well, it's not that I don't like it, but this is the poster child for Fiddly as far as Euros. (laughs) Now, war gamers will be like, psh, that's nothing. But for the most part... The, the majority of our audience are Euro gamers. So yeah, there, there are a ton of chits moving onto and off the board each and every turn. So this is where those tweezers or the handy vac mm-hmm. or, or anything or just very delicate fingers and, and gentle placement uh, comes into play. But it, it there are a ton of chits in this game. Yeah, I did see in the, the gallery for the game, there are Carthaginian has made these really really awesome they, they're books that you put all of your player pieces in but i did notice that someone else had made or had bought little little discs like <laughs> thick wooden discs and put and put stickers on top to instead of using the chits you use those so that those, those might be easier to to stack and and pick up and, oh absolutely and it's it, it the the possibilities to pimp this game are there the downside though is it cost him, I want to say it was $100 or $120 to pimp that game. So if you're looking at the base price is normally about $100, $120, so you're paying double. Or if you're you're buying it on the secondary market, you're looking at $300 right now, plus another $120 to pimp it. So that's... While it looks gorgeous, and I would love to do it, it is an investment if you're going to go that route. Yeah, it is, but if it's your favorite game... You're, you're not going to care. Fair enough. You know? Yeah. So the quality of the components we hit on, uh, it's not what you're probably going to expect them to be. It's thin cardboard. There's offset printing on the chits. The player mat slash, you know, your your player aid, um, it's paper. Mm-hmm. It's not even cardboard. It, yeah. It's easy to damage. So you have to be very, very careful with that. And even though there's a, a fair bit of the game is played simultaneously, AP can drag during city building as well as countryside building. Uh, so that's something to be aware of. There's no player interaction early in the game. Everyone's in their own little area. So until civilizations start getting closer to one another, there really isn't a ton of interaction unless players are trading with that manned market. And the last thing that I, get, I have here is... Plano boxes are a must. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And Plano box, they're, uh, for those that don't know, the little tackle boxes or fishing tackle boxes, whatever. We have two of them, one for each side of the table so that players can, because again, there's 1,400 chits in this game, and it makes it really a lot easier keeping it organized as well as making setup and teardown a whole lot quicker. But I, I will say that sometimes, it, especially if you play it a lot in succession, it can kind of feel samey. I've, I've won this game multiple times, I will say, and it's always been with Santa Barbara. Well, that's because you play with crappy players, i.e. me and some of the others. <laughs> Whatever. And I've, I've tried to play the game with other saints. In fact, I've tried everybody except San Giorgio, even Santa Maria. But I just, I can't see a feasible way for me to win with another saint i mean i'm sure that it's just me and my play style but i do find it extraordinarily difficult interesting i wonder i'm curious to hear from folks in the guild and other listeners if that's the case if that's a amanda issue or if that's a yeah i get set in my ways yeah i'm very curious to see if if 
if that's the case because if it is then okay but I would I would like to try to win with somebody else I just can't seem to the main complaint that people have about this game is how big the box is it's not small no it's enormous <laughs> it's 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 up there with the old uh Fantasy Flight uh, coffin boxes. Yeah. It's it's wider than that. Not not as tall, but mm-hmm. wider and probably about as long. Right. It, yes. It's it's huge and it pokes out of our shelving units. But the good thing is that Roads and Boats is the same size, so at least we have two huge boxes sticking out of the shelf. Yeah. The 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 box is is way bigger than it feels like it needs to be. Yeah, it does. But I mean, who cares? Game's awesome. All right, so we have some questions from the guild about antiquity. And the first one is, what are your favorite four civilization games? So for me, Through the Ages, Antiquity, Imperios Millenarios, and Advanced Civ. It might be Mega Civ with Advanced Civ because it's basically the same game, just kind of bigger and more developed. But yeah, so those are mine. What about you? Antiquity, Through the Ages, Sid Meier's Civ, actually. I knew that would be in there. Yeah, and uh, I haven't played anything else on, that's on my radar enough to rate them, but I would say Roads and Boats, Advanced Civ, Mega Civ are all on that list because Civ Builders are my favorite genre. Do all the little chits get too much to handle? I haven't played, but heard others complain of this. If you're okay with all the little chits, does the feeling of the game itself help to overcompensate, or is it, or is it really a non-issue? I don't think the chits are a big issue. I mean, I think it fits with the game. Antiquity would be kind of weird without a bunch of chits. Um, and I mentioned before about the pimped out versions where the chits have been replaced with sticker tokens, and that would be cool to try. But I mean, I have little girly fingers so i don't have a problem with it i never use tweezers i don't use the handy vac or anything i just pick up the chits so from a, a male's perspective with big hands how did how do you feel about it's definitely going to be an issue for some i mean plain and simple it's just going to be way too fiddly for some people uh like you said i used our little handy vac there um we've tweeted out pictures of it they're little like four inch long like suction little uh, suction cup little tools that are invaluable uh, war gamers use it i use them for or we use them for 18xx games um so yeah definitely definitely helpful um it, but no one in our group who has experienced antiquity has an issue with it but i'm sure our group is the exception to the rules so yeah it's going to be an issue for some but it's not for us how does this compare or stack up to other civ games like if you already own other civ games is this one worth owning it's my second favorite one behind Through the Ages. Uh, it has a completely different feel, though. I, To be honest, this could be said for just about every splatter that it's not like any other game out there. So, yes, there's games like Agricola, which are kind of punishing in a sense, but this is on a whole different level, and it's just it's, just its own beast. So is it worth it? That's something you're going to have to decide. But is it, it, like I said, it's my number two Civ game. So yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. I, I recommend it. I mean, this rakes right up there with for me for my top Civ games. And if we didn't own it and had like played a copy of a Friends, I would definitely want Edward to start trying to track it down. I adore the game and it, I feel it needs to be in every Civ game lover's collection. But keep in mind, the reprint is going to happen at some point. So it's a matter of, can you wait a couple years? You've waited this long. Right. Might as well make, wait a couple more and save a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> right. My favorite question so far today. Mine too. Thanks, Yalster. <laughs> Does Amanda consider herself 
as cult of the old as well as Edward? Or is she just cult of whatever Edward purchases? <laughs> I am the cult of whatever Edward purchases. Um, really digging in and researching possible games to own just isn't in my wheelhouse. I don't enjoy it and he loves it. So I'll let him do that and I'll buy what he plays. I mean, he hasn't steered us wrong yet. So why should he start now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why do you taunt us so? Why? We got a rep to maintain with the whole can't review it till it's out of print. Seriously. <laughs> no, but seriously. Uh, half the year is Cult of the New and half is more established games. Plus, well, to be honest, our Patreon backers chose this one. So, yeah. Blame them. That's it. Yeah, blame the Patreon yeah, backers. They voted it. It's their fault. And don't think of it as taunting. It's lovingly pushing you in a direction that you might not want to go into. <laughs> or you may. <laughs> all right, next question. I acquired my copy via a trade, including all expansions for Dungeoneer. What did it take to get your copy when it was not reprinted yet? Here, note, we got the second edition. For anyone that has a copy from the first edition, of course. Well, we got the second edition and got it for about 100 bucks or so. Uh, back in a, uh, we got a secondhand in a BGG auction. So, yeah, just good timing on that one. What's the most common route to follow? I.e., which patron chosen to follow? Well, as I said before, Santa Barbara is the one that I always seem to choose and always seem to win with. So that's what I would say. And it seems that those that are new to the game, that's the one, at least in our group, that people are drawn to. Uh, because, oh, I just have to build one of every building. That seems easy enough. Okay, cool. Right. I think it's either that or San Cristofori, the one that where you have to have three of each food and luxury good. So which are your favorite saints and why? And are there any that you always use because you find the others weak? My favorite is San Nicolo, but I've yet to win with him, so I don't know why. Uh, that's the one where you have to build all the houses. I shoot for that one all the time, and I'm terrible at it. So that's just... Boo on me. <laughs> I've yet to try San Giorgio, but I'm really anxious to do so. Uh, just because it's the most aggressive. It's the one where you have to completely envelop a opponent in your zone of control. As far as weak goes, I can't say that I found any of them weak. But then again, we're hardly experts at the game, so I, I can't really speak to. I know the special power for... Is it... Who is it that gives the extra fish? I mean, that's you, San Giorgio. Yeah, you're getting three fish in a game, you know, in a four player game, unless people are swapping uh, often, which I can't imagine happens. So maybe that special power is weak. But as far as other than that, I haven't, ex I, even with seven, eight, nine plays of the game, I, I don't, I can't answer that. Yeah, I don't, th I don't think that any of them are weak. I do agree that the, the special power for San Giorgio is kind of weak. The just, you know, being able to get a fish, big whoop. Can you think of any games that look uglier than this one when the game reaches its conclusion? All those skulls from the pollution. I would, first of all, highly disagree that it's ugly. I agree. And, oh, hell yes, Quebec. Good point. You want to talk about garish? I'll take skulls over that any day. That's a good point. Because to me... The table presence of this just looks really impressive. Even with all that pollution, I know it's terrifying to see it on the table, all the pollution at the end of the game. Um, but yeah, I just don't think it's ugly. Not at all. 
So how many turns into the game do you usually find yourself deciding that you placed your starting city in a slightly wrong space? <laughs> by turn two, maybe by turn three at most, I'm like, oh, son of a biscuit. I should have done this so that I had access to that. And yeah, like I said, can review the game. Definitely not good at it, though. <laughs> my my answer is going to be the first one. <laughs> is this the best splatter game? No, but it definitely ranks up there for me. I love just about all the Splatters games, and it would be in the top three for me, and if anyone's curious, my top three Splatters are The Great Zimbabwe, Food Chain Magnate, and Antiquity. All right. I said it's not my favorite, assuming that's what you meant, and Indonesia is still my favorite, although honestly, any of the big five could be my favorite depending on my mood that day which are Antiquity, Indonesia, Food Chain, Great Zimbabwe, and Roads and Boats. So it just depends on what I'm in the mood to play. They're all, how awesome is it that a publisher, designer, slash whatever, there's five games that are that good. Right. Given how many fantastic games that have come out since, some of which scratch similar itches but may not be as brutal, is Antiquity worth bothering with? If you enjoy the brutality, no other game does it quite like Antiquity. That can be said for every splatter, you know, as far as being unique, like I mentioned. But again, if you dig masochism in games, which you guys know I do, is it worth $300 or waiting? Only you can make that call, but it's a big number, but it is a really good game. It's nothing like your quote-unquote normal Civ game. So I think it's worth definitely worth bothering with now whether you want to drop the cheese now Or if you want to wait, that's, you know, as Edward said, that's your call. But I definitely think that it needs to be played by everyone. But keep in mind, when the reprint does happen, eventually, you're still looking at $100-120. Granted, that's a huge markup, you know, where it is now compared to there. But it's not like it's going to be a $50 game. So just FYI. Are you aware of any issues with the game, like in in Indonesia, that would be fixed in the reprint? Or what would you change? There's no issues like the map issue uh, of Indonesia, but even then, that one is just once you know it, you know it type thing. That said, there are some things that I would change if it were up to me. Smaller box. I would do a rules rewrite so that referencing is easier. More clearly differentiated goods. Even if you want to stick with the whole art you know, concept that is in the original here, do something different with the goods so that they're clearer as well as center the printing better. You know what I mean? Because the offset just drives me nuts. Yeah, I would agree about the the art. Just especially the fish and die make a difference. And who is fishing die out of a lake anyway? Can you answer that? Maybe it's uh, maybe it's squidding. Squidding? That's the only thing I can come up with too. <laughs> so Edward, is there anything that you can do to get it reprinted? We'll talk to the fellas when they come to HeavyCon this year. It's the best I can do. So Amanda, is this a tableau building game? I don't think so at all. I mean, you can create an engine, but I don't think... And it doesn't have a tableau building feel to me. I mean, you are building city, your own individual cities, right? Mm -hmm. With Mm -hmm. your Tetris pieces. So I can at least understand where the question comes from. But no, it's a city slash sib builder, I think, that might have... It that might have a, a touch of tableau building, maybe, maybe. with the Civ, but I, I just don't think so. So what are the, your other favorites where the game likes to beat you down, not the players? Well, 
the games that I enjoy where the game beats you down. You got Agricola, obviously in antiquity. Age of Steam, Kanban, Cassandra, she can be mean. And Lahav, gotta keep up feeding, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't mention any co-ops, didn't mention Twa in the Year of the Dragon or Notre Dame since you asked for favorites, games I like. How about you? I actually had Kanban as well. Um, but I and I said at 18xx, but I think that's mainly more the players that yep, are beating I you down. So. It's not really necessarily the the game itself. I can definitely see your point about Agricola and Lahav because feeding those people just. Whew. All right, so that's all the questions we have from the guild about antiquity. So you want to go into our summaries? Sure. You want me to go first, or you? You go first, kind sir. All right. Antiquity hates you. It hates me. It hates everyone. There's no room in its cold black heart for anything but hate. It doesn't apologize for that hate. It just continues to try its best to beat you down and suck your soul dry. It's the dark souls of board games. But I respect that. Even though this game is incapable of loving me back, I can't help but find myself trying to think of ways to make it love me as much as I love it. So yeah, it's a love-hate relationship with antiquity. I love it. It hates me. I'm good with that. If you're like me and can love a game that's incapable of loving you back, then antiquity is the game you want. No, nay, the game you need in your life. But you've been warned. Oh man, I have to follow that. Now you know how I felt with Tony. Dang it. Antiquity is a delicious, lovely game of civilization building. You must do everything near perfectly in order to win, and the perfectionist in me loves that. The Tetris-like feel of the buildings is sometimes excruciating decisions that have to be made regarding manning buildings, building buildings, or even trying to figure out exactly how you are going to get that one resource you need. It all makes for one of my absolute favorite games of all time. Yoris and Yeroon made another stellar game, another must-own, and what I believe to be their signature game. It is a masterpiece, and that is not a word I throw around lightly. I adore this game. It's currently out of print, but it is amazing and, if able, a must-own. All right, so before we rate the game, let's talk about our rating scale. We rate on a 1-6 to scale, where 1 is burn it with fire. Damn you if you ever give this game or sell this game because you should have burnt it. It's that bad. A 2 is it's not you, it's me. Simply don't like the game. It's just not our cup of tea. A three, we feel the game's maybe a little below average, but there's some redeeming feature or mechanic, but overall, meh. A four, however, we feel the game, you know, it's above average. Mechanically or somewhere in the gameplay, there's something good going on, and we this is the level at which we start thinking maybe we want to own a copy. Five, it's a terrific, dare I say, great game. Strongly like the game and likely to own it. A six, this is a Hall of Fame game. Absolute no-brainer, go buy it. So Amanda, you want to, you ladies first? (laughs) Well, thank you. Antiquity is one of my favorite games, as I've said multiple times in this episode. And I, I couldn't give it a rating other than a six. It's a Hall of Fame game. If you ever try to sell it, I will punch you in the face. (laughs) It's not going anywhere, I assure you. (laughs) So yeah, it's a six for me. What about you? For me, as it is right now, I have it as a five. It's if the, the 
fixes to the component quality were a little bit better and the printing, again, the differentiation, it's just, it, it's keeping it that one hair below a six. So if it's a hair below its six, that means it's gotta be a five. It's still an awesome game and I absolutely recommend every civ civilization building fan out there, go try it. Uh, I would say go buy it actually, as long as the fiddliness doesn't bother you. Yeah, fantastic game. And that, once again, is Splatterspellin's Antiquity. As we wind things down, there were a couple of questions that didn't quite fit with Antiquity, kind of broad, general questions. And, and one of these I'm really excited to answer because it's a really good question. But we did want them to include them in the episode. So here we go. Do you think there are other games out there that you would feel differently about with more plays or by playing with a different group? Would this likely affect only a small number of games or is this likely to be more common? Most reviewers comment on the game after only a play or two. Does this give short shrift to the game with a quote-unquote slow burn? On the flip side, might it lead to inflated ratings of games that become stale quickly? Very interesting question. I like this a lot. But it's hard for me to answer because we play each game we review so many times, it's hard to answer that in any other way other than what I'm accustomed to. I mean, I know I personally, if I don't like a game after three to five plays, playing it more isn't going to change that. However, it's almost imp always important, in my opinion, to play games at least twice, not five like the tall, before making a definite decision. I mean, for example, I hated Age of Steam after one play, but it's now a Hall of Fame game for me. So what about you? I think absolutely that there are instances where I'll feel differently about a game negatively uh, than I did at the beginning. Because both Tony and I loved Panamax when we played it. And we continued to really enjoy it through our five or six plays before we reviewed it. But it wasn't in either of our top 50 games. So taste change, or should I say maybe evolve. I feel that's natural. And I think it I don't know that it would affect most games, just some. As for short shrift when reviewers only play a game once or twice before reviewing it, that's why, like what you said, we try and play it five times or more before we review it. Hell, some far more than that. I have, I think, nine plays of Through the Ages, and I feel like I need a, quite a few more before I feel comfortable reviewing it. So we try and be thorough and make sure we play a game enough to understand the replayability, but in the end, we're human and tastes change. So, yeah, I, I, I think after a handful of plays, it's possible that you don't like a game as much as you thought you do or thought you did. Or it's possible to go the other way. But I will say this. Outside of one or two exceptions, there has not been a game out there that I have enjoyed more after a couple of plays than I did early on. Whereas there are a huge amount of games where I've played, oh, I liked it a lot my first play, and then Diminishing Returns mm -hmm. after that. And Spirium was the game that yep. always comes to mind. First time we played it, we loved it. Second time we played it, we liked it. The third time we played it, we said we're all set, and we yep. traded it away. Exactly. So, yeah. and and But I feel five, six plays is more than ample to give it a fair shake as far as replayability. Because otherwise, you're never going to get reviews. Because who's going to play a game 10, 15, 20 times to find out? Uh, it's just not reasonable to expect that. 
the same time, it is reasonable to expect more than just a player to to be able to gauge the depth of the game. So hopefully that was that was thorough, I hope. All right, so Skippin asks, so aside from board gaming, what other hobbies do you two have? I know some of the answers. That I'm curious because I'm, I'm not sure I do. <laughs> yeah, I was just sitting here thinking, we don't have time for any other hobbies. Uh, I guess for me, I love to color. I have lots of coloring books and lots of pencils and stuff that I like to use. I like to just play around on my computer. I love TV shows. I like movies. I like uh, I like playing around in Photoshop. I I just I don't I like to read. I just I don't really have. But the problem is we play so many games and and do so much stuff for the show. We don't really have time for anything else. <laughs> First world problems, I yeah. suppose. For me, I love to cook. Uh, I also love to eat. That's why we're on Weight Watchers. Yes. Um, <laughs> But I, I'm excited about getting these bikes uh, to be able to go out and go riding on trails. I'm excited about that. I enjoy snowboarding. I haven't been able to go this year. I'm not going to. But once I lose the weight, I'll be able to get back into that. I enjoy playing video games, although I don't do it much anymore for exactly that reason. Just don't have a lot of time to dedicate to it. But yeah, I'm okay here. with that. It, it's it's a it's a by choice thing. So skip and ask one more thing. Have you always loved greyhounds and rescued more than Asher? And how is Asher? Well, right at the moment, he's very unhappy because of the storm. So he's just kind of pacing around and moping. Yeah, he's terrified of thunder. He's okay with fireworks, but just absolutely detests thunder. He's the only greyhound that we have rescued as of now. We took a online quiz to determine what the best dog dog breed was for Numerous you. quizzes, yeah. actually. And we kept getting Whippet as the answer. And we lived in Las Vegas at the time, and Whippets are very hard to come by. And so someone suggested a rescued Greyhound. And we thought, well, that's fantastic. We'll do that. And we, as soon as whenever we moved to, to Colorado and got settled and everything, we got, uh, we got Asher and couldn't be happier with him. We want to thank the great people at Game Surplus for their sponsorship of Heavy Cardboard. Good people and reputation and a great inventory of games, including many imports and hard-to-find games. Their tagline is home of great games at great prices. So check them out, gamesurplus.com. Feel free to email them, games at gamesurplus.com. They're happy to track down whatever games that you're looking for. And as always, tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. Our website is heavycardboard.com. Our email address is contact at heavycardboard.com. We love to hear from you guys, so please send us email or follow us on Twitter at heavycardboard. Our Facebook page is heavycardboard. Our Instagram is heavycardboard. And our BGG guild number is 2044. And our Patreon is patreon.com slash heavycardboard. So I guess that's a wrap, huh? I guess so. Bit of a long episode, but hopefully uh, hopefully folks enjoyed it. That's uh, that's our first post-Tony episode. Felt weird, got yeah, it met. It, it felt very strange. So hopefully, uh, I'm curious, uh, feedback people, we want to know. Yes, please. If I suck, tell me. <laughs> and if I did, tell... Someone else. No one else. Right, yeah. <laughs> cool, go with that. All right, so we'll catch you all in a couple weeks, and it sounds like Prime Time, I think, is the uh, the featured game. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, that's subject to change. But uh, again, hit us on Patreon if you want to vote on what uh, what the feature game in one of the episodes in May will be. Yeah, it's so the five dollar level. So do that, and you can vote, guys. All right, we'll catch you all in a couple weeks. All right, talk to y'all later. Thanks, everybody.